Guy, I have a question for you, and this has been in the back of my mind for a long time, and I want to ask you straight up. Every time I hear the intro to the jingle, I think it's your voice. Did you record the intro to the jingle? You know, I didn't, but I have just been singing it to myself. So maybe <laughs> somehow I left my camera on and it got recorded. I can just see you like screaming, mad stacks of cash. Yeah, I mean, next time I see you in person, I will sing it for you, you know, I, live performance. That would be great. Okay, today we're going to cover, speaking of money makes the world go round, we're going to talk about $250 million. With an M. Yeah, so big money. We're going to go big over money. the top five metrics. Guy and I are going to compare metrics that we think are really, really important to run your firm. And we're also going to have a quick step in with a legal trends report brought to you by Clio. And there's one more thing. Just because you can't get enough Guy and Conrad in your life, we're going to double up. So expect to hear from us, not once, but twice a month on the second and fourth Wednesday of every month. Here we go. Money makes the world go round. Welcome to Lunch Hour Legal Marketing, teaching you how to promote, market, and make fat stacks for your legal practice, here on Legal Talk Network. You know, Conrad, I always thought Lawrence Coletti sang the intro. I can hear that. Welcome to Lunch Hour Legal Marketing. Before we get started, we wanted to thank our sponsors. LawYaw provides end-to-end document automation for solo, small, and mid-sized practices. Save time and avoid mistakes with documents that you draft over and over again. Learn more at LawYaw.com. That's L-A-W-Y-A-W.com. And thanks to Alert Communications for sponsoring this episode. If any law firm is looking for call, intake, or retainer services available 24-7, 365, just call 866-827-5568. LexisNexis Interaction, the leading client relationship management solution purpose-built for the way law firms engage with their clients. Learn more at interaction.com. And also, Clio's cloud-based practice management software makes it easy to manage your law firm from intake to invoice. Try it for free at Clio.com. That's C-L-I-O.com. All right, Guy, we're going to go into the news. Speaking of our sponsor, Clio, and Mad, Facts, Mad Stacks of Cash, Clio brought in $125 million in venture capital. Not a bad haul, huh? Nice job, Clio. Really building something special over there. Kudos to all the Cleons. And, you know, this is kind of also not in the context of Clio, but in the massive VC infusion into legal tech. It's kind of a told you so, right? We've been talking about more money coming in for as long as I can remember. Yeah. I mean, it's and it's getting bigger. So along with that Clio round, Scorpion raises $100 million, which I find really fascinating, Guy, because Scorpion's kind of an agency, very similar to, say, ours. Well, I would say congratulations to Scorpion as well. And, um, you know, look, 
we know that you don't get to those kind of valuations just on services. So right. they're building, right? They're building technology, platform. I know they've been talking a lot about uh, AI and bid management and whatnot. So can you imagine CRM potentially? CRM. I would expect to see more software coming out of a company that can raise $100 million. And I'm curious. I'm not even curious. I'll show my hand here. Show they have hand. a proprietary website platform. I'm wondering just how open or proprietary the software that they deliver will be. And so I would ask yourselves, are we building higher walls to our walled garden? Hmm. Just throwing that out there. That's interesting. Um, I guess TBD on that. And, you know, so what does this mean for uh, just like the regular practicing lawyer when all this money is coming into these tech platforms and like, why do I care? Yeah, I mean, that's a very fair question. And it's kind of like, why are Conrad and Guy talking about, why do they keep coming back to this? And I think what you're going to see, Guy, is this is a consolidation play. If you are on one of the tertiary matter management systems, one of the smaller matter management systems, it's probably going to go away. And pretty soon, there's a lot of money. I can tell you that there's a lot of money in acquisition in both Clio and Scorpion's budget, right? And so I think you're going to see some consolidation. The other thing that I would be worried about if I was on one of those kind of tertiary systems is do you just get kind of left behind and unsupported? We've definitely seen that in the past where VC has come in and left some dated software completely unsupported. So this is why if you're running a, a small business, why this big money does have an impact and how it will have an impact on what you're doing. Right. And then the other side of that coin is, is presumably you'd hope that um, with this investment, you know, they're able to iterate a lot faster to drive innovation in the products. And so hopefully it's also turns into much better user experiences for the users, right? And we've seen that, right? Like the technology has made, even in the last four years, the sophistication with which you can run your law firm has just exploded through the use of, of easy-to-use technology that used to kind of really be just at the enterprise level, which you're now seeing at even the small firm level. Like Microsoft Excel. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't quite sure where to go with that. Uh, I meant word perfect. The other thing, Mr. Tsakalakis. Yes, sir. We have our conference coming up, May 26th. Your conference. It is our conference. That's it nice is of you. I'm a, the, I'm a very grateful host. Is that what I am a host? You are a fantastic host. So bedlamconference.com. Yeah. Join us at bedlamconference.com. It is Guy, Casey Moraz, who's a, a very old friend of, of both of ours, uh, and Mike Ramsey from Nifty. So we will have four hosts. We've got some really smart people, including Darren Shaw, who's going to go over the lo local ranking factors. We would love to see you there. If you are a Lunch Hour Legal Marketing listener, you have a free code to get in to Bedlam, May 26th. It's LHLM on checkout. But we don't tell any non-listeners. Yeah, don't put this on the Twitter. Maybe we should limit this to like five free tickets. Well, you got to do more than that. <laughs> 55. Yeah. So It'll be in the fine print. It'll be in the fine print. So we'd love to see you. And Guy is going to guarantee that you'll be blown away by the content. Because I'm going to sing. <laughs> money makes the world go around. Yeah, it's uh, you know, uh, needless to say, it's something we're both pretty proud of, and you know, we it's a platform for 
competing agencies to bring their A game. And so it, you know, the feedback has been positive. So happy that we can keep that going. And it's virtual. Did you mention it's virtual. that? Yeah. That's important. No Some planes. People might be trying to go. No planes. All right. I'm exhausted. Let's take a break. As the largest legal-only call center in the U.S., Alert Communications helps law firms and legal marketing agencies with new client intake. Alert captures and responds to all leads 24-7, 365 as an extension of your firm in both English and Spanish. Alert uses proven intake methods, customizing responses as needed, which earns the trust of clients and improves client retention. To find out how Alert can help your law office, call 866-827-5568 or visit alertcommunications.com forward slash LTN. The right client relationship management solution enables and empowers firm growth. LexisNexis Interaction is designed specifically for law firms and embeds client intelligence at the heart of every interaction, providing valuable insights into client relationships so you can make strategic decisions about how to focus your resources to gain more business. Learn more and request your free demo at interaction.com slash lunch hour. And we're back. And you can't see me because this is a podcast, but I'm down on my knees and I am begging you, please, to give us some feedback. So head over to your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review. And it's okay. If, look, if you can't, if you dropped on this and you can't stand it, please let us know that too. Um, but we do need your feedback. You can also just send us emails or direct messages to give us your feedback. But we really do appreciate those reviews. Do we strategically ask for the reviews after we're certain that anyone who hates us has already left? Well, we just asked after the free tickets. So I thought, you know, Quid pro good quo. time, right? Moving on. And now for the Legal Trends Report Minute brought to you by Clio. Our sound engineer is still working on the sound for this segment. Did you know, Conrad, that in 2020, over 50% of legal professionals worried about the success of their law firm. That seems terribly low. I was going to say the same thing, Guy. That <laughs> for, for a bunch of people who have been trained to be to see risk everywhere, uh, 50%— Did we read the stat right? I could go backwards. I'm going to say this is an optimistic stat. At least 50%— Like, we can remarket this. Yeah. At least 50% of legal professionals see success in their law firm's future. It could be 100%. It's over 50%. <laughs> It's something between 50 and 100%. It's not less than 50. Yeah. I mean, the, the interesting thing there is that billable earnings are down 6 to 8% across the industry. And, you know, we are still living in a bit of the COVID hangover hard times. Yeah. And, I, you know, it's, I think also there's, and we've talked about this many times, but lawyers' hands are finally forced because there is no, in many places, there's been no in-person to undergo at least some level of digital transformation. And so, you know, there's, there's some growing pains in there. But, you know, the lawyers that are putting this to work, they've managed to earn 37000 more than others. What are they doing differently? Technology, right? Online payment, client portals, and client intake solutions. And notice, what do all three of those technologies have in common? They're about the client's. Yeah. Easier to pay, easier to interface, easier intake, better success. But 
And I mean, it's a not surprise. a surprise, right? Like, right. I think one of the potential fallacies that we have is that, you know, oh, well, the nerds like technology and there's technology for technology's sake. And, and right. in some cases, that can be true at the very early adopter level. But we're at a point now, this in the last 48 months, 36 months, has become accessible to all of you small firm owners. We're working with starting out solos with a level of marketing sophistication that you just could not have unless you were a 10 lawyer firm two years ago, right? And right. it is there. It is a very real thing. And I think that you know this may be self-inflicted bias coming from Clio, but the fact that their legal trends report is showcasing that lawyers who adopt technology are making 37 grand more than those who don't, like there's a reason behind that, right? And you're right, Guy, it is client-centric. Yeah, and you know the other thing that I think is not terribly surprising, but you alluded to this, you're starting to see the legal services consumer marketplace expect the technology. And here's, you know where you see it play out? In online reviews, right? This lawyer was really difficult to get a hold of. They never sent me any contact information. That, you know, my call goes to voicemail. There is no client portal. Scheduling, right? That's another big one where you can see that the expectation of the consumer is changed. It's they need this. I want to be able to sign documents without coming to your office. I want to be able to have a consultation in a way that doesn't require me to expose myself to uh, COVID and um, or, or, you know, there's the proximity stuff. And, and guess what else? And this is why some of this is just an acceleration of trends we've already seen. I'm busy. I don't want to have right. to get in my car and drive to see you or, you know, go find my checkbook that I haven't used in two years to pay my legal bill because you're the only business that I have to write a check to pay and mail to because everybody else accepts online payment. I think one of the, the nuances that I'm seeing here, Guy, is that the attorneys who are able to showcase that their use of technology is a comforting process that is like I call this customer success. Like, like you're handled. This is the process that we go through. Here's the documents that you need to sign. The next thing that you're going to see is a meeting with Bill, and that's going to happen at this time. And, and it's, it's using technology to walk that client through their experience, puts the client at a level of comfort that we used to deliver in person. And it's more than just, hey, we're going to have a Zoom meeting, right? It's that there's this process and there's this methodology and we do this all the time and this is how it's going to work. And now the client understands that they're taken care of and they feel that level of comfort that they want to feel because you're thinking about their entire journey and you're using technology across the entire journey to deliver a much better experience. Technology-enabled expectation setting. Game on. To learn more about these technologies and much more for free, download Clio's Legal Trends Report at clio.com forward slash trends. That's Clio spelled C-L-I-O. And I'll even give you another tip. If you just Google Clio Legal Trends Report, it comes up in the first spot too. So for our next group, we're going to talk about the top five metrics. Now, Guy, I live in this world where I know that there are nothing but metrics that marketing agencies can throw at law firms. Most law firms have no idea what those metrics are. And most of them, in my opinion, are, are fundamentally useless. So what I want you to think about, and what I've already written down for myself, the top five useful metrics to think about the health of your marketing. 
Fun. Okay. All right. That's my challenge. Okay. Give me, in reverse order, we're going to go ping pong back and forth. All right. Number five for you. All right. Number five for me. Cost per qualified lead. Okay. How are you defining qualified lead? Well, that's a good question. I think, you know, every firm's got to find that for themselves. But it's someone who's interested in talking about how the firm can help in a way that's relevant to the way the firm helps. So that was a very wordy way of saying, if you're a criminal defense lawyer and someone is calling you looking for criminal defense legal help, that's a qualified lead. Okay. I'm going to go and give a straw man question to your your, your comment here. Please. What percentage of the legal industry do you think has a good and accurate understanding of their qualified leads? Uh, 10%. Yeah. Okay. I would agree with that. I think that's high? Yes, I think that's high. I think 10% think they do. Mm-hmm. Okay. My, my number five is the percentage of your business that comes outside of spending money with people like me and Guy and Google. The percentage of your business that comes from referrals. That does two things. One, it's really great business to have because it doesn't cost you anything. What it false. costs you is doing an amazing job. So I say false there Go. about it being free. Let's fight about this. Because time, your time, your time to build relationships, your time to do great work, your time to yes. Develop a reputation in your community or be a leader or speak or that stuff is not your time is not free, but it is extremely valuable. And I agree that it should be the cornerstone of a healthy practice. And so throwing the ball back to you, what percent is good? Hmm. I'll I'll give you a I'll give you a very carefully thought through answer. It depends. No, no. I'm gonna give you what percent is great. Love it. If you are such a good lawyer and you do such a good job of driving clients and, 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 and sorry, of delivering an amazing experience for your clients and you are known for this and 100% of your business comes from referrals and you never have to talk to me and Guy, pat yourself on the back. And Agreed. I'm going to give scotch. you one caveat. Go. So I agree with you. 100% comes from referral and you're hitting your objective from a yes. growth standpoint, right? Because yes. it's because it's easy to be like, oh yeah, I have 100% of my business's referrals and I get one client every seven years. Right, and I eat ramen. I can't pay my right. subscription. 100%, totally agree. Okay, what's your number two? Well, technically, well, two for the way you're saying it, number four. Sorry, number four, number four. We're going <laughs> backwards in time. Backwards. Cost per client or client acquisition cost. Are you going to say CAC. I'm not. That's like the worst acronym ever. It sounds like something that well, you Well, if I catch. say CPC, then people are going to be like, oh, he's saying cost per click is the most important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how much money does it take to... And, and here, I'm going to go back. Not just money. How much time and money yeah. does it take to acquire a client? And you know, what's a good number? Well, it kind of depends on a lot of your financial metrics. It depends on another metric that I'm going to name in a minute. But maybe I should just stop right there and let you say what your number four is. No, I have a question for you, though. Yeah, please. I'm going to ask you the same question. Okay. How many law firms do you think have an accurate understanding of cost per client? Okay, well, you said accurate. Um, yes. I, I think that, so I'm going to say this. I think a higher percent, 
are wrapping their head around this concept. I think the, the, the cost per qualified lead's a tough one. Yeah. I think cost per client, though, I feel like a lot, especially lawyers, you know, take PI lawyers aside because contingencies, you know, as they'll tell you, is all over right. the map. But, you know, if you're a DUI lawyer, you have a good sense of like, hey, this matter is going to be five grand or whatever it is. And I can spend, you know, 500 bucks to get a client, right? And so I'm trying to, you know, target like 10x on my fee versus cost right. per client. I think I think there's a better sense of that. I still think there's opportunity there for improvement. But I think to your point, this is the maybe your point you were making, how accurate is it, right? So it's easy right. to do something like ROAS, but it's not as easy to be like, you know, what's the cost per client for the time that I spend building referrals? Yeah. I think my gut here is that the accuracy is better in aggregate. It's it's right. It's very inaccurate when you get into any layer of granularity. And that's very difficult. If only there was a way to get more granular. <laughs> I'm not trying to tee that up, but yes, there is a way to get you're more always, granular. You're always trying to tee it up. What are you but like, about? it's so the obvious. Listeners know. They listeners know, Conrad. Right. They're, on they're on to us. Yeah. On to just me. Just you. On to you. Yeah. Me. They haven't okay. figured out yet. But, you know, it's much too obtuse. Okay. <laughs> I'm giving you my number four here. Please do. Mine is the UCR. This is my own word. No one's ever really picked this up and run with it, but it is the useless content ratio. And this this really applies to those of you who have a large volume of content on your, mostly a large volume of content on your site. My bias has been for a very long time that, and I, I've used this phrase over and over again, but you're barfing out blogs because someone told you to do that. And it's like so, buying lumber, buy blogs like lumber, buy a lot, <laughs> buy it cheap. <laughs> and 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 although lumber's and it, really expensive right now, at least for a week, right? Right. I love UCR, by the way. And it, here's the thing, too, and you already know this because you eat and breathe this Are stuff. Telling me I'm teeing this up again? Well, more you're seeing a lot more messaging in the search community right. about the actual, not just the neutral impact of UCR, but the actual negative impact of UCR. Yep especially in the search context, right? Joy Hawkins just posted about this. I will tell you that I wrote a post called uh, SEO Regicide Content, The King is Dead, like 10 years ago, right? And so at the risk of trying to make myself sound like I saw it coming. Um, no risk, no risk there. Well, here's the thing. When I was running marketing for Avo, Avo had a content problem because it had too much content. And so we, we, I was early on dealing with trimming content instead of adding content. And I spent a lot more time trimming content than we worked on adding content. And so I'm a big believer in this. I've also seen it work for a bunch of our clients. The other thing, and it's not just, I wanna be clear on this, it's not just the volume of content. That's like a very blunt way to look at this. It's the fact that a lot of your content could be doing a lot better looking at stuff at the page level and understanding where you're completely missing. Like this one page, if we changed the H1 from A to B, or if we use this to build out three more pages that were more specific, like you can get really deep into the analysis of your content and change how you perform from a search perspective, especially if you are in a practice area that has a longer consideration set, a longer purchase cycle, family law, immigration, et cetera. There's that much more kind of high funnel content. And I think we're missing it because I think we're still looking at these things with very blunt instruments. And while the tools exist, 
to actually take a really deep look. We're not applying that. There's a lack of sophistication in how we think about content that the firms who are killing it have gotten past. All right, listeners, we're going to let you uh, ruminate on that while we take a quick break. No one cites routine drafting as the reason they chose to become a lawyer, but that's where a lot of time goes for solo practitioners and small firms. LawYaw can help you transform your existing Word documents into reusable templates with no coding required. Save time and avoid errors with intuitive features like conditional logic. Use a tool that empowers your experience and expertise. Learn more at LawYaw.com. That's L-A-W-Y-A-W.com. All right, coming back, Yi, give me your number three. Number three, and I'm going a little bit David C. Bakery on you here. Oh, David Baker. Billable efficiency. It's a way of talking about utilization, but it's not utilization in the way that a lot of people think about as billable. It's the time that you have that you're getting paid for based on the total like from a financial basis, based on the total money. And if you just search for uh, recourses, eight gauges, it's in David's post. He articulates better than I will, but it's a measure of how well your uh, capacity to deliver service matches you're getting paid for it. So I love David C. Baker, and that post uh, is really focused on agencies. I actually belly flopped in showcasing to David just how poorly his own SEO was when he he changed domains and uh, had a complete SEO mess. He was very unimpressed with my analysis and he did not turn into a client. <laughs> Which is an amazing side story. Um, it, yeah. but, but I do think it's, you know, I don't want to go deep on this one, but I do think it's important for folks. You know, Cleo talks a lot about utilization. It's an important metric for running your firm, period. And so if they pose me the questions, what's most important for running your firm, you got to have your eye on utilization. What's yours, Conrad? My next one, this is simplistic. And most of you guys and women will overestimate how good you are on this because I've asked and then I've looked at the data. What percentage of time do you answer the phone? 30%. Do you know what the average is, Guy? I do not. So this is my clients, 91%. Uh, you're indexing high. Somewhere between yeah. 90 and 91% answer the phone. The key here is, think about this. We, we have clients who answer the phone 80% of the time, which means, this is what I yell at them about, if they could just get to average, their marketing budget effectively increases by 10%. Totally. Let me tell you something. We, the first thing that I look at when I have someone talking about how leads are down, leads are down, I'm like, what did you change in your intake process? Oh, we just hired two new intake people. Oh, yeah. we just switched intake <laughs> systems. It's always it's always that because guess what? On a month over month, not yeah. a ton's changing in your campaigns. Yeah, it's not like it's not. And you know, this, it's funny because you talk to lawyers and they'll be like, "Oh, well, you know, we're sending all these. All of a sudden, it's like not qualified leads. It's like, hey, guess what? Nothing has changed. It's the same. Go here's the keyword report. Here's the ad copy. Here's the landing page. Here's the search query report. Here's the search console's query report. It's all the same stuff. What happened? Oh, you something, you stopped answering the phone. Yeah. I mean, it's, it happens over and over again. Right. And, and I'll tell you this, all of you should be using a third-party answering service for Who when you, like? you are not available. Well, I can tell you 
that there are uh, Alert Communications that is a sponsor of this show is one of those that I like. Okay. Um, and not just because they sponsor this show. That's smart to say that. But here's my point on this. There are lots of third-party answering services. There are lots of bad yeah, this, third-party This problem should be solved. Services. This is a solvable problem. It's like you have one job. Let me leave it with this, and then we'll move on to the next one. If you are using a third-party answering service, don't assume that they are answering the phone. Right. Because many of them are terrible at their primary function. I'll Get CallRail in there or Invoca or any of the call tracking. That's going to give you the data to tell whether or not your third party or your in-house people are answering the phone. Like That's a basic thing. Mm-hmm. You should know what the answer is. And by the way, the bigger your firm is and the more money you spend, the closer that should be to 97, 98, or 99%. Nice. That's where it should be. Okay. What's your next one, Guy? Two, I put LTV, lifetime value of really? a client. Yeah, I and, it, and the reason is, I kind of hedged on this one a little bit, went back and forth, but there's such an untapped, in so many firms, there's such an untapped resource of repeat, whether it's referrals mm. or staying top of mind or just repeat business, right? Mm. There, you know, some of, in certain practices, it's... And lawyers tend to think in matters. So they're like, I represent this person. The value of that representation is X. But it's like, well, no, if you nurture that relationship, you might find all sorts of other ways that you can help them that you never thought about. And so you have to zoom out and take a bigger picture of like the lifetime value of the client. And that's that's their thing, too, when you talk about cost per acquisition and cost per qualified lead. You've got to think about that lifetime value and, and even the post-representation value of the relationship that you've built. So let me ask you a question on this. Okay. I have an MBA, not a JD. And my, the, the MBA brain in me likes this. And yet I've talked to law firms. I'm thinking about family lawyers specifically. And their answer is basically like, listen, as soon as we're done, my client never wants to hear from me again. Like this was an ugly part of their life. They just like, they don't want it. They don't want a birthday card or they don't want an anniversary of our divorce flowers. They definitely don't want that. (laughs) Listen, I've talked to lawyers who do Uh, that, right? Yeah. I think, I mean, here's the thing, you know, this is one of those classic, it depends. And um, I, I think that my experience is this when we campaign a broad brush, but I know family attorneys who have built, they're like, yeah, I was going through the worst, the literally the worst thing in my life. And you were the person who helped me navigate that. Right. We're best friends. And so it just depends on your firm and your positioning and you know the, the service that you're providing. And frankly, like how much empathy and relationship you're actually trying to, to develop. And, and I'll tell you this, this is, this is one of those things that is a huge competitive advantage for the mm-hmm. lawyers who get it right. So if you're yeah. gonna be the historical monolithic family lawyer where it's like, oh, this is the lawyer that's just like the pit bull who you want in your corner during the divorce and they fight, 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 fight. Well, that is appealing to some people, but there's a lot of people that that's not appealing to. And so if you're, if for that group, worst time in their life, making a very emotional decision, huge competitive advantage for those that can actually build a deeper relationship than just Fought really hard for my divorce. Never want to hear it from me again. My personal take. I'm going to go touchy-feely on this. But you brought the word up. And you said how much empathy you show, right? And I actually think it's... I agree. It is a huge competitive advantage. It is missing in many law firms. I think it's due to the lack of empathy. 
genuine empathy, not just what you demonstrate, but actual genuine empathy. And that, it seems so strange to have empathy being a competitive advantage, but I think it is. I mean, all the studies show the same thing. People make these kind of hiring decisions based on emotions. It's They're not making it based on them. Sure, do they want to know that you're a competent lawyer? Yes. Do they want to know that you have experience dealing with the issues that they're dealing with? Of course. But guess what? Everybody that's, you know, I'm going to say this and lawyers are going to be like, that's just not true. Uh, everybody, <laughs> from what you can communicate about your practice, has those things, right? They all, you know... Everybody's got a hundred positive review. You know, not everybody does, but you look at a competitive search result, everything's there for you to see. You see the lawyers have hundreds of reviews. The top three, they have hundreds of reviews. They're all fours and fives, mostly the couple of occasion problems. And so, you know, people are seeing that stuff and you think that everybody's choosing on logic, but they're not. It's the emotion. It's like when they get to know you and whether that's they see a video or they they read your page about why you practice or they read a testimonial that says something like, they were just there for me when I needed them in the worst time of my life. Thank you so much. If there's ever anything I can do for you, please don't hesitate. This is the firm you want on your side. Like that is an emotional thing. It's not a... They got, you know, they got me my fair share in my divorce. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's Anyway, sorry, that was my rant. No, we're no, no, it's over, a good it's a time. good rant. I'm sure we're way over time, but like that's it's we'll summarize and then move on. Empathy is a competitive advantage. It shouldn't be, but it is. And Guy's right. And so approach that client not with uh how big is this matter, but like how much does this matter to the client? Wow, that was cute. Right. And the other thing that I, just the, the other quick point there that I got to make just for those the people that are just disagreeing with this ve- like pounding on their whatever they're listening to this podcast on. They've already turned us off and they're leaving a negative review. Uh, I can't wait to see it. <laughs> you can't paint a broad brush. And so to your point, if you're sending out a mass email that's saying, "Hey, it's National Divorce Day and you know, remember when you got divorced?" like that stinks. Nobody wants that. But if you if you have the relationship and you have people that have opted in to get that kind of messaging from you in terms of like follow up and staying in touch and just checking in, it's so powerful. I mean, it's, again, it's so silly. Like you, you, you see some of these email campaigns like firm newsletter versus like wave hand emoji in the subject. Guess what gets opened more? Firm newsletter or wave hand emoji subject? I'll let the listeners decide for themselves. What's your number two? My number two is it's a negative. It's the thing to not look at. It's not something. It's a not something. (laughs) Do not look at your return on investment. Wow. Heresy. There it is. What do you got against Roy? And here's why. I already already told you why. You You asked me, me, Guy, what percent of your business should be referral-based? And I said, in a perfect world, all of it is referral business, right? And because... Take the time aspect out of it. You are investing cash dollars zero in that. You're investing being amazing, being empathetic, all these things that we've talked about. But you're so if you are 100% driven by referrals, your ROI is infinite because you're not putting out <laughs> any cash. It's asymptotic. It, it, <laughs> That's for your MBA mind. And so ROI basically says strip out everything other than that one thing that, that delivers to, to maximize your ROI. Tells you to strip out everything other than that one thing that delivers the client at zero cost. And most of you do not live in a world where you can do that. 
Most of you live in a world where you have to compete on pay-per-click. You have to compete on local service ads. You may choose to compete in Avo, or you may choose to compete in the SEO wars, whatever it may be, and that costs time and money, and money specifically is what we're talking about here. So the ROI argument, I'll leave it at this, and then we'll move to number one. Ask the next marketing agency that tells you that they are going to maximize your ROI what the formula for ROI is and watch the dumb blank stare that comes back at you. This sounds very reminiscent of Gary V and his, what's the ROI of your mom? <laughs> I, I don't know that quote. I thought you were going with an off-color joke really quickly, but... Um, no. No, well, you have to, you can look at YouTube, Gary Vee on ROI of your mom. It's a famous Gary Vee thing. All right, let's make some noise. Drum roll, please. Key, number one, what is it? Profit. Profit. You can't, if you are breaking even or losing money over a long enough period of time, it's over. Profit. That's fair. Profit. I like it. Keep your eye on the profit dial. All That's right. all I got. What's a good profit? That's what everybody always asks. What's a good profitability? Can't tell you. I mean, what do you think? What's good profitability for a law firm? I mean, I bet it's yeah. so disparate it's all depending on map. practice area. Overhead, number of lawyers. Here, I'll give you, I'll give you a, a, a philosophical answer to that. I'll give you mine too. A good profit is when you are making enough money to be very comfortable and turn away the shitty work. So I'm gonna. That's a great way to look at it. But I'm gonna add one thing. It's not how much money you're making to be comfortable. It's profit should be after you pay yourself dollars. Mm. So you should have whatever you're paying yourself to be comfortable, and then profit. Mm. Like that. Anyway, okay. You want my number one? You already kind of stole my number one. Well, you're no. Well, can you tell us what it is first? You said cost per qualified lead is your number five. And I, I asked did. you the, the leading question, Yeah, the percentage of people, of law firms, that can calculate that accurately. Right. And so my answer to the number one thing is what I will call an intake qualified lead by marketing channel. And what do I mean by intake? And, and by the way, this is a very, very pragmatic answer that you can all do right now and most of you don't. This is the IQLMC. IQLMC. You should put this in your reports. <laughs> the intake qualified leads by marketing channel. To me, an intake qualified lead is someone who you will have that initial consultation with. So you know that that initial consultation gets booked. You also should be able to know where that lead came from if you have a good reporting infrastructure. And a good reporting infrastructure is not... Hi, Mary, how did you hear about us? That is a bad, unsophisticated reporting infrastructure. You need an automated process that tags Mary with where she came from, from a lead source perspective, pay-per-click, LSAs, SEO, Avo, carrier pigeon referral, whatever it might be, don't care. But then once Mary gets booked to have that initial consultation, she is an intake qualified lead and you need to know where your intake qualified leads are coming from and most of you are running blind. Or you think you know, but the data is garbage in, garbage out. Right. And, and so, you know, you said I stole it, but this is a much more sophisticated metric than what I was just alluding to in my number five. I think it's extremely important. And, you know, needless to say, it resonates with me because we see so many times that it's just missing, right? Especially when you add in the by channel, right? The by channel makes all the difference. Yeah. 
I mean, you know, if you're going to spend money on it, you're competing in the ad auction on Google for competitive queries. That's a totally different qualified lead. There's intent versus, you know, if you're just bouncing off of something you post on Facebook. So it's very important to understand that qualified lead by channel. Yeah. Can't uh, agree with that enough. And here's the thing. I'm going to come back to the very beginning of the show. The technology exists for you to answer that question without a huge level of difficulty. It's called a survey. <laughs> I don't know. I Please check the box. Yes. By the way, if SurveyMonkey is your primary resource for business intelligence, you are going out of business. No, I love the, you know what I love? Um, yeah, we, we ask, we segment by channel. What do you Dude, get? What are I, the answers? The it, internet? The internet. Google. Yeah, the, Thanks. Oh, oh, really? Was it Google? Actually, Thanks. according to analytics, it wasn't Google, actually. So they actually didn't corroborate their own journey. We're going to end this with a nasty gram. I, Uh-oh. <laughs> there's an agency of which you and I are both familiar. You're going to know who I'm talking about, but I, I won't nope. name names. Just I don't know who it is. Yeah, no you do. You know exactly who it is. In their marketing material, they said, when clients asked their clients, where they came from, they all said Google, and that's how we know we're winning for them. No. If you're an agency telling your I clients to that. ask your clients how they found you, you're not really a marketing agency. Let's leave it with that negative thought. So that will, so that now you have a reason to give us a review. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll hope to see you at Bedlam. Don't forget, we are coming back twice a month instead of once a month. Thank you very much for your time. I hope we didn't offend you too much. And we'll catch you on the flip side. Thank you for listening to Lunch Hour Legal Marketing. If you'd like more information about what you heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via Apple Podcasts and RSS. Follow Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. And or download the free app from Legal Talk Network in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, or subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Is ruminate an appropriate word there? Yeah, absolutely inappropriate. Ruminate. Word. Okay. Just came into my head. <laughs>